morning show, Sportsnet 59 the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Peter King, and Leafs general manager, Brad Trulimic, coming up this hour. Decent hour. It's a, it's a pretty good hour. Um, the San Francisco 49ers, they're 5-0, as are the Philadelphia Eagles, also 5-0 in the NFC. Nobody in the AFC is undefeated as mm-hmm. the Chiefs, of course, lost week one to a Lions team that continues to impress. Like, the Lions are right there. They're on the second <laughs> tier of NFC teams. Well, oh, it's just funny because I was watching, you know, I had a couple games on yesterday, flicking around, watching games, and it was very funny to me that the Dolphins and Lions were playing somewhat, obviously, they're different teams stylistically, but the score looks similar, and I'm sitting there going, man, I love what the Lions are building. Look at these guys actually answering the bell and showing up. And the whole time I'm watching the Dolphins, I go, yeah, bunch of frauds who won't play any defense. I don't know about these guys. It is, it's just, a, and this is the problem I've had early on in the NFL season is normally I feel like by this point or maybe week seven, week eight, we have enough of the, this team beat this team, this team beat this team mm-hmm. to have the hierarchy, but there have been these weird early season results. So I still am having a hard time exactly stacking things. The top of the pecking order is super clear, but beyond that, it's, uh, uh, it's very much up in the air still. But, yeah, it is funny just the way we watch things because I was watching that with the Dolphins going, eh, you still got to sell me a little. I got to be honest. Yeah, well, I, I think that's fair, though. I mean, the again, Bills, yeah. you, well, but also you just look at the victories that they've accrued, right? Like they, Pats. They, yeah, 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 and they, they put up big numbers against the Broncos <laughs> and the Chargers. And, <laughs> I mean, the Chargers are hanging around in the AFC and obviously are just cursed to never to, to realize their potential. But they also have a decrepit, awful defense, right? And the Dolphins just racked up points on points on points. And week one is is weird. And, you know, looking back at the end of the season, maybe it'll become irrelevant. But, like, factually, the Lions, and boy, that was not a perfect game either. There was no Chris Jones mm-hmm. in it. But, like, factually, they have beaten a good team yep. in the, on the road at Arrowhead. Totally. In the Kansas, Kansas City Chiefs, they, they lost to uh, a Seattle team that's going to be in the mix-ish, and yeah. that was in overtime. But, yeah, no, they've, they've played credible opponents. They've also, yeah, beaten up on... Poor Bryce Young and the Panthers and gone to... I was about to say, so poor. Actually, very rich. Just so small. Um, And they've also gone to Lambeau and beat a Packers team that I think, yeah, maybe Jordan Love is going to be fine-ish. But, like, I don't... I think the ship... Again, maybe it's too early to, to, to be making definitive statements about this guy, but the bar for me is way higher with a guy who actually got to sit behind a Hall of Fame quarterback for a couple of years and being selected in the first round is the reason why he was eventually or forced his way out of, of the, the only place he's ever played. Yeah. The, the lions though, they beat the chiefs. So they, they, they get to be in a different, you get to have a different yeah. conversation about them than you do about the dolphins. Yeah, that's fair. I, uh, cross sport, cross generation comparison. The, this dolphins team reminds me of like the D'Antoni Nash sons. Sure. Very fun. Yeah. It's just, do I ever think it's going to result in anything tangible? <laughs> no, no. Even the weirdo head coach, obviously very different styles of weirdo. Mike McDaniel is a weirdo. Yeah. Uh, the likes of which quite honestly, we've never seen. And I, I've, I don't know how you feel about this. I fluctuate all the time between loving him and being incredibly irked by him. Oh, I'm, I haven't been irked yet. You haven't been irked? No, Sometime, when, when is the some, irking happening I don't for know. You? Sometimes, sometimes, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just an irksome guy that sometimes it just hits me the wrong way because no. it's never it's never a different tenor. It's always the same, like, I'm a little stoned and I'm going to answer your question. <laughs> like, you had, the, you had the quote about Ch- uh, Chase Claypool. Oh, you want me to say the thing? Yeah, he's fast, man. Like, yeah. I don't know. It, just, it 
it all works, but man, is no one's ever no one's ever been better at coaching football and felt less like a football coach, I think. No, that's one hundred percent true. Even I, though he's a ball boy and, you didn't yeah. have a problem with him yesterday after the game and racking up the most yards <laughs> from scrimmage in NFL history after five weeks saying, We did it! Yeah. Mission accomplished. I, was, I did laugh at that. That was funny. <laughs> we wanted to have excellence to, it, it's just we wanted to have and the problem was I was I was fresh with Blue Jays in my brain that I could have actually heard the words we wanted to have excellent statistical outcome through five weeks <laughs> right. of the season come out of Ross Atkins' mouth. So that's why maybe I thought it was actually really, really funny. Yeah, okay. I'd say it's like 80-20 for me no, with Mike McDaniel. It's 100-0 for you're, me. You're allowed to do that. I'm just telling you how I feel. Um, I think, you know, speaking of, of of echelons and 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 where you are in the pecking order, I think the Dallas Cowboys now are pretty firmly outside of even the second tier of of contenders mm. in the NFC. Cause I could I could throw away the Cardinals loss. Yep. Like I that happens, I right? Can. I can, yeah. Yeah. And that's a, you know, the, the, clearly that's a team looking ahead or or a, a Cardinals team that they weren't expecting to to play as hard as they did, and they took them lightly. I understand that entirely. Missing all their O line that game, yeah. Totally. I I can I can forgive that. And I can even forgive losing in San Francisco to the Super Bowl favorites at this moment, the yep. San Francisco 49ers. What I can't forgive is the way they looked in doing it. And and that Niners team is full value for them. And boy, health is such an issue. And it was last year and it has been throughout the entire Kyle Shanahan tenure as they just keep losing quarterbacks. And boy, Christian McCaffrey, every time he, he touches the ball, it's amazing. But it's also like terrifying because of his recent injury history and how important he is to that offense. But to look as inept as they did against that 49ers team to be out of that game as quickly as they were for Dak Prescott after the two interceptions in the playoff game a season ago to, again, talk about the most disappointing result in his NFL career. I, I, I'm i done with the Cowboys being, despite the incredible defense and Micah Parsons and yep. him being totally. maybe defensive player of the year, like I'm done with the Cowboys. Uh, Full-on Denny Green. They are who they thought we are. Yeah. This is the good-bad team, okay? They are not... The 49ers, they are not the Eagles. I don't think they're the Lions, but that's what we're going to get. We're going to get an answer on what this Cowboys team is really guess, I, I would, I would put the Lions ahead of the Cowboys. Right I, now. I would as well, but I think that given the team they just played, the 49ers are special, 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 and the way they control the game, it really does not bode well for Dallas. It doesn't bode well for most teams. That's why the game I'm kind of circling is Rams-Cowboys. That's next week. They get the chargers after that. They get the Rams and the Rams are one of those kind of middle teams in the NFC there. And I'll be really, really curious to see how they stack up there. And then they get the Eagles after that. And obviously we'll know, I think that's going to look a lot like San Fran, just to be honest. Yeah. It's, I, I was making the comment to you that Dak Prescott feels a lot like Kirk cousins. And I was hoping, PR. I was hoping that there would be a Vikings Cowboys game that was on the schedule. And we could actually have the, the, the Spider-Man meme where you can have great regular seasons with both of those guys and, and they can be insulated with, with great teams and they can, they can give you regular seasons to, to they can give you a great regular season mm-hmm. and put up great stat lines at the end of 70, uh, 17 games. But when it comes to the postseason, when it comes to your ultimate championship ceiling, I don't think you're winning a championship with either of those guys. All right. Time now for our insider. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. 
Today's insider is Peter King of NBC Sports and the Football Morning in America column. How's it going, Peter? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Doing very well. So we were just talking about that Cowboys Niners uh, Sunday night affair and and I guess denigrating Dak Prescott and that Cowboys team but we should be praising that 49ers team and specifically Brock Purdy who is now fifth favorite to win the MVP you said he's your favorite in, in your column does it it finally feel like around the NFL uh he's getting the respect he deserves yeah you know I think when you look at the way Brock Purdy plays I think a lot of times you see, you watch him and it's not altogether, you know, he doesn't wow you because he's not going to throw the ball. Uh, you know, he's not going to throw it on a frozen rope a lot. Uh, he doesn't have the greatest physical tools. Uh, but I just think he executes Kyle Shanahan's offense perfectly. And I think that if you just watch the games and you watch, it isn't just that he's accurate. I think a lot of what makes him really good, and you ask receivers, this, they just don't want the ball to be in their catch radius area. They want the, the ball to be where you are able to run after the catch and make huge plays. And that's what I think you see with Brock Purdy. You see a guy who puts the ball on receivers in places where they can continue to do damage and run down the field. And so to me, I think that is part of the little secret of Brock Purdy. A lot of guys will have good completion percentages and everything, but you know they're not throwing the guys uh, a ball that they can do a lot of damage with after the catch, you know, and, and I think the one other thing is that he's really, really a good student. I, you know, I was at the game on Sunday night and afterwards I talked to him and he was, he was picking at himself. It wasn't, it wasn't like he was, you know, angry or, 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 or anything like that, but he was very self-critical after a throw he missed in the second, in the first half, and Shanahan told him at halftime, told him and Debo Samuel, we're going to run that again, or Brandon Ayuk, excuse me, we're going to run that again in the second half, and he actually ran it on the second snap of the second half, and Purdy executed it perfectly, and it was a big gain, and so that to me, you know, that's something I like in my quarterback too. I want a guy who wants to be perfect and who wants another shot at something when he doesn't do it well the first time. Yeah, I think the personality part of this is something that obviously it's the most unknowable thing for people who are watching. Not that you're just doing that. Obviously, you're, you're a little more plugged in from that. And I think that part can't be over overstated. You know, the other part that you mentioned in your answer there, and I think this is where people, even people who are coming around, warming to what Brock Purdy may be, is that this is Kyle Shanahan's offense. And there is this belief that it's almost like Kyle Shanahan's playing quarterback and the quarterback is thus just there yeah. to execute. You know, uh, Dan Orlovsky had the comment that if Mac Jones was there, there, he'd be looking like Brock Purdy does. I'm not asking you to weigh in on the Mac Jones part of it, but just how true do you think that is, that there is just a, a kind of lower floor of quarterback that could potentially succeed in that system, and that is why maybe Purdy isn't getting the credit that, that you think he deserves? Well, I do think there are a lot of quarterbacks that could succeed with Kyle Shanahan. When you see over time, you know, this is seventh year as a head coach in the NFL, 
And when you see that he has had quarterbacks who have done okay, haven't been great, but like C.J. Beathard, Nick Mullins, uh, you know, and obviously you look at Jimmy Garoppolo and, and, and look, Jimmy Garoppolo I think was great for that system because he has a lot in his game, uh, intelligent smarts. I don't quite think he's what I would call the worker bee that Brock Purdy is, but there's one thing when we talk about this quarterback, when we talk about Brock Purdy, that people do not give enough, I don't want to say maybe credit to, but there's a lot in, involved in making a quarterback. And, and just because a guy doesn't get picked, he'll pick 272. Uh, I think that, that we all think, okay, he got picked 272. So he's kind of branded with that, you know, but, but the one thing that we forget is that he started 47 football games in a power five conference, you know, in the big 12. And what's more, it wasn't that he just started games at a major college level and he's played in Austin, Texas and Norman, Oklahoma uh, you know, before 90, 100,000 people. It, it isn't only that he played in the games, but that his team was the underdog probably on two-thirds of the Saturdays that he mm. played in these games. And there's something to be said for this. George Kittle told me last year, he said, listen, one of the best teachers that you can have is experience, and honestly, negative experiences, because when you fail, you say, well, geez, how can I do better? And he goes, that's what Brock Purdy had to do for four years in college. So I I think that is a really, really valuable thing. You come into the NFL, and now you're going to have better better players, guys, more skilled teammates, and obviously you're going to have one of the best coaches of offensive football in years in the NFL in Kyle Shanahan, and that's a recipe for, you know, for success. And, and, you know, but look, it would be nothing if this guy weren't an accurate quarterback who's really a hard worker, and that's what he is. Well, you you can't describe a more opposite experience for Mac Jones, (laughs) who played at Alabama, and 257 picks separated his 15th overall selection and Brock Purdy's Mr. Irrelevant stature. No doubt he's a a part of the problem, maybe even the biggest part of the problem in New England, but it does go beyond him, it it feels like, Peter, and the Patriots look like one of the worst teams in the NFL right now, and Bill Belichick is one of the greatest coaches in the history of the sport, no, no matter what his record is outside of having Tom Brady as his quarterback. I mean, the, you're starting to hear more and more rumblings about this being the, the final year of Bill Belichick in New England. I mean, what is your sense of, of how things wrap up after 17 games this year? You know, I just don't think anybody really knows that. And the reason I think nobody knows that is because Robert Kraft and his son, Jonathan, who I think, uh, you know, will be mostly Robert Kraft's decision, uh, you know, the owner of this team. It's not like he shares his thoughts and says to other owners and other people around the league, hey, what do you think I ought to do with Bill? Uh, So I don't think anybody really knows what's going through the mind of Robert Kraft. You can look at some thoughts, though. You can look at his thinking, and he clearly thought in training camp this year that uh, maybe this wasn't a Super Bowl team, but this was a playoff team. And honestly, 
when you look at it now, you basically say, listen, we can point to Mac Jones, and I think rightfully so, you can point to Mac Jones. However, this thing is a lot more than just one issue. And I think the biggest issue that you have is that you look at Bill Belichick and you basically say that he's the one who's been charged with filling the roster with players. And if you look at them, you tell me one offensive player on that team, running back, tight end, a wide receiver, one, that a defensive coordinator has to stay up late at night, you know, worrying about. There isn't one. And, you know, you also look at, uh, not just there, but, okay, so now you got Matthew Judon hurt. You tell me, other than Matthew Judon on that defense, who's the guy on that defense who's going to be a, a guy who can take over a game? There isn't one. And I'm not even sure that you'd say Matthew Judon can take over a game. He's a good player, a good player. But, I just think that becomes the biggest problem now. The roster, 1-53. to 53. It's like, you know, Daniel Jones with the New York Giants. How in the world can you tell if Daniel Jones is any good or not when he's been pressured 82 times in five games? And, okay, so quarterback pressure as defined by uh, next-gen stats, which those are those stats are from. Quarterback pressure honestly, is it has to be something that affects the quarterback when he's getting ready to throw the ball. So more than half the time that Daniel Jones, oh, I'm sorry, almost half the time, I think it's like 45%, he's, you know, his ability to throw the ball the way he wanted to has been affected. How can you be any good? And that's what I think Mac Jones, not necessarily in terms of pressure, but in terms of people separating from defensive backs, uh, his weaponry is just totally mitigated by the fact that, uh, you know, he doesn't have great skill players. No, he, he doesn't. And I mean, honestly, since the kind of, you know, Gronk and uh, heyday, it's, it, there hasn't been one there. There have been, you know, some players you like, but it's not been anywhere remotely like that. Let's say there was a ceremonious, unceremonious end at the end, at, at the end of this season in New England. How, what, how would Bill be viewed, Belichick be viewed across the league? I mean, we know what his record is pre-Brady. We know what, it, what has been people post-Brady. Would be line, people, would be, people would be lining up to hire him. Okay. <laughs> he, would get, he would get a job next year coaching someone's team. There'd be a lot of owners who'd want to go into business with Bill Belichick. So, I mean, but, but – and, and so everybody said, well, geez, would he retire? Look, as – you know, the, Bill is not one of these guys who in the offseason goes and, and shares his innermost thoughts with other people. A lot of coaches do talk to other coaches and they got friends and everything like that. It isn't that Bill Belichick doesn't have friends, but it's not like he's saying, hey, if Kraft whacks me, mm-hmm. I'm going to Team X uh, and I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to break Don Shula's record. And again, Bill Belichick, more than any coach that I have been around since I've covered the game, appreciates and reveres football history. Mm. And in my opinion, just my opinion, that I'm not saying he will stumble around and limp.
to the finish line and go coach some lousy team just so he can get a few more wins to break Don Shula. What I am saying is that I think he believes that that record is really, really cool, and he views it with great reverence. And for all that he has coached in his career, and look at him, he doesn't look like a a doddering old man. It's just, just my opinion. I think if Bill Belichick had a really good personnel guy to work with, like really good, uh, I, I think he could still coach three, four more years effectively. Um, I, I just think he needs two things. Mm. He needs a good personnel man, and he needs a very good offensive mind. And right now, you know, again, look, I like Bill O'Brien and like him a lot. He's current offensive coordinator. But I just think that Bill O'Brien, it's going to be hard for anybody to succeed with the level of talent that he's got on that offense. Uh, one more for you. I mean, he might have Caleb Williams. Uh, so might the, the Minnesota Vikings, who are now going to be without Justin Jefferson for at least four weeks. It looks like he's going on IR. They have one win. Kirk Cousins is a pending free agent. Like, are, are the Vikings now in a potential sell-off mode and, and a Caleb Williams watch? Well, you know, there's probably about 10 fan bases now who think they're in Caleb Williams' watch. I don't believe that even without Justin Jefferson that the Minnesota Vikings are going to only win two games or, or, or three games or whatever it is uh, that you need to – probably you need to win three or fewer to have a chance at Justin Jefferson or at uh, Caleb Williams. I, I, I don't really see that coming. You know, I think there are worse teams in the league. I think – Clearly, no matter who you have as as your weapon, the Giants are worse. I think the uh, you know the Carolina Panthers are worse. That's an odd question. What do you do if you're Carolina and you get right. the number one pick and you got Bryce Young? Uh, I mean, probably most likely you <clears throat> you and look. There's a lot of questions right now in Caleb Williams' camp whether he will just go play for anybody. This NIL money allows quarterbacks for big teams in college football to make a lot of money where they are. And who knows, could Caleb Williams stay in school one more year if he's making $5 million, you know, off the field while playing for USC? I don't know. There's a lot of sword rattling about that right now, uh, but I won't believe it. Uh, you know, until it's time to declare for the draft in January. Peter, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Okay, guys, thanks a lot. Peter King, NBC Sports, and his Football Morning in America column. This insider was brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. If I were the Panthers and Caleb Williams did decide to forego yet another season at USC, and I had the first overall selection... I would select Caleb Williams. Can I, can I add one more thing I would do if I were the Panthers? What's that? Uh, we have to go back to the before times and not draft Bryce Young. Yeah. That personally, me, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm interested. I'm a... If we're just saying what the Panthers should do at any given time, I would like to weigh in on that one. Don't think it was good. I would probably take the quarterback that looks like in the same species as the other football right. players. Yeah, the guy who looks like he's a high school quarterback in the NFL <laughs> does not, not voting well for him. And Caleb Williams is a big, big man. Yeah.
I, I would take him. All right, when we come back, I would take this guest. It's Toronto Maple Leafs general manager, Brad Living, as we get set for the opening of the NHL season tonight, Leaf season tomorrow against the Canadians. Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 5.9 of the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. NHL season gets underway tonight with a trio of games, triple header, all spaced out, no overlapping games. Although there is a, a day where there's all 32 teams on the ice at the same time, and we're going to get like an NHL red zone type thing. I saw that. This also, I saw that. This also leads me to my hobby horse. Uh, I know the season hasn't started yet, but Canadian Thanksgiving, I really need a quadruple header. Yeah, the Kraken can play the Canucks, uh, and then we have to figure out uh, who Winnipeg plays because the Leafs have two rivals in Montreal and Ottawa. But we, like, we don't need to get involved in the machinations that all right now. But I'm saying that is my the Americans get a triple header of football on their Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Why do we not get a quadruple header of all the Canadian teams and Seattle? Yeah, it's a great, great point. I've been um, banging the drum. I, Somebody, I, please take this. From I hope me. I'm not offending anybody, and I I think. I, I think I'm saying something that is just universally accepted here, despite me being a proud Canadian, mm. they speaking do it right. to many they do it right. Canadians. I have an American wife, so I can I can speak uh, from firsthand experience comparing the two Thanksgivings. And yeah, there's no comparison, really. No. Like, I had a fine Thanksgiving. It was, yeah, it was, my wife made a lovely roast. And it wasn't snowing like it it's will nice. be or might be during Americans, uh, American Thanksgiving, but... Yeah, having nothing but football and being immersed in uh, a culture of gluttony oh. during that day, and I, I did some gluttonous things over the weekend, but Boy, it's not. Like, it's it just it's not the same, Brent. It's just not the same, and I think it has to start with the sporting culture. It has to. We need something specific when it comes to on the schedule for. I don't know if you want to put it on Thanksgiving Sunday because a lot of people have their Thanksgiving dinner on Sunday I'm open or to Monday. Suggestions, but I want credit for this when the NHL inevitably does it. Yeah, can't we just move up the start of the NHL season? I don't like even a think we have to because I because COVID's messed up the start of years. But I feel like October first, second was usually a pretty prominent start of the season date. So yeah, we can we can do it. We could bump it up just a hair. I would love it. I would love it. It would make me oh so happy. Yeah, it would. Even if you don't have Canadian teams, which we don't have tonight. No Canadian teams of the six in action tonight. Predators, Lightning, Blackhawks, Penguins, Kraken, Golden Knights. That is that is a nice little start to the NHL season for you. Tomorrow, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs against the Montreal Canadiens, who are one of those teams that are looking to take a, a step forward uh, after having... The first overall selection a couple of years ago was Slavkovsky. A um, little different than Bedard, just just a hair. Well, that's it. Like, I was going through the history of first overall selections and, you know, parsing who had more hype than the others and mm. what class of hype. A hypathon. Right. I even, I, I did not put Austin Matthews in the same class of hype as, as Connor Bedard, Connor McDavid, and Sidney Crosby. It's nope. just it's just a different deal. It really is. And even like even Ovechkin, he was kind of more the great unknown as mm-hmm. opposed to this, but he had a ton a ton of hype. Obviously the lockout played played into that as well. It's hard to think of a time, well it's not hard to think because it was however old Connor McDavid is in terms of NHL years, but just think about how lucky we've been to have this kind of spaced apart one every it's even less than a generation because I don't think Crosby and McDavid are a full generation apart. It's mm-hmm. like 
two thirds of a generation. It's perfect the way these guys have been spaced out in our in our hockey lives. Yeah, it's true. That's a great point. Um, we didn't touch on this uh, yet during the program, but speaking of Canadian NHL franchises, mm. the Winnipeg Jets making a significant move yesterday, keeping things in house. But the the biggest trade chip that might have been available at the deadline and somebody that I think was bandied about in multiple different NHL circles as far as an impact player that you could have added both in the offseason or at the deadline in Connor Hellebuck and a, a former Vesna winner off the market now. As the Jets sign he and Mark Shifley to identical seven-year extensions worth an average annual value of $8.5 million per season, Connor Hellebuck now the third highest AAV of goalies behind and not including Carey Price because he's not active. Yeah, the one doesn't count. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, of course, leading the pack with his $10 million per season and Andre Vasilevsky at nine and a half, who's going to miss the first two months of the season after undergoing hip surgery. Uh, it's a lot of money. It's a big term for guys who are not exactly young pups anymore, nope. but you're Winnipeg. No offense to the place I was born in. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Manitoban. Sort of, kind of. My Sorry. dad was there for work. <laughs> Don't apologize. That's rude. <laughs> but yeah, this is obviously the way that organization needs to do business. You have productive hockey players who are willing to put pen to paper at, at almost a decade, and you have to maybe pay a premium. You have to do that. I'd be very curious the reaction in Winnipeg because I'm sure there is a subsect of the fan base that has said, we have been through this a million times. We've seen this core. We know what it looks like. We just lost a center as part of this core in, in Dubois. Maybe it's time for a reset, but it is so hard to get players there. It is hard to keep them there. And Hellebuck, at the very least, is the backbone as far as goaltending goes in the NHL. I'd be very curious to see how many teams just had their deadline change planned a little bit. By well, that's, that's it. If you were going to go for a hard rebuild and and grab a bunch of young pieces and Not draft happening. picks like that that would have been the guy that you could send overboard that being said if you have a productive and and good Connor Hellebuck the rest of your team can be kind of mediocre and, mm -hmm. he, and he can lift you at least into the postseason, if not beyond and, and go on a deep run in the postseason. And there are playoff spots to be had in the West as well. I think that's the other part of this as well is that I don't think those two guys are enough to make them cup contenders, but there are definitely playoff spots up for grabs there and that should keep them in the mix. So I understand it from the Jets perspective, even though it's not maybe the most ideal team building way to go about it. Yeah. And it's a bummer for the, the people in this building who get hyped up for a trade deadline <sighs> that is, you know, Hit and miss year over year over year. And Mark Shifley would have looked like Gordy Howe on deadline day. Dude, would he have not? <laughs> he and, and Connor Hellebuck both would have been the headliners of trade deadline day. But uh, good for Jets fans that they get to, to watch those guys for the next near decade. Uh, Maple Leaf fans get a chance to see their new look hockey team tomorrow against the Montreal Canadiens. Very happy to be joined now by Toronto Maple Leafs general manager, Brad Living. How's it going, Brad? Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we doing today? Doing doing very well. It's so, hockey day, Brad. It's yeah. hard to be upset. <laughs> it's like, That's right. That's it's, right. It's New Year's Day uh, for you hockey fans, and uh, I'm sure it'll feel like New Year's Day tomorrow when you uh, watch your hockey team play in a, in a meaningful game for the first time uh, since you took over four-plus months ago. So this is this is your your first kick of the can as, as Toronto Maple Leafs general manager. You know what it's like to be at a, in a Canadian market. But anything about the job early on surprise you? You weren't anticipating? Oh, I don't know if there's been any surprises. Obviously, listen, it's Toronto. Uh, it's the Maple Leafs, as I've said, you know, when I got here and many times since, it's a special spot. Um, um, but, you know, so, you know, I wouldn't say there's been any surprises. We're, we're excited. 
you know, our focus has been getting our group together here. We're excited about it. Um, as you said, you know, you, you get through the slog of training camp in the preseason uh, and and looking forward to seeing, you know, the real thing tomorrow. So we're just we're looking forward and uh, excited to get up and going. Yeah, you mentioned you're excited, and, uh, you know, anytime you're starting a new gig, it's a great time to be excited. But you guys maybe got a little bit of a surprise in camp in Fraser Minton. And, hey, feel free to correct me and tell me you're not that that surprised. But I, I think the biggest question people have is just how much did his performance tip your hand in, in moving William Nylander back to center? I mean, obviously, Minton is a player who can play center. Obviously, you know, centers play wing in this league as well. But how much did his emergence allow Keefe and, and the coaching staff to, to to move Nylander back to center when a big topic heading into the training camp, at least was looking at him on center as opposed to the wing. Well, there's, I, 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 I'd be, I'd be lying if I said, um, first of all, that we had any thought that, that Fraser would be here today. I mean that, you know, quite frankly, that probably wouldn't be truthful. Uh, um, coming in here as a new, as a new guy, you have a little read on, not only the players that are here, but even watching the prospects, you know, like Fraser as a as a as a draft eligible eligible guy, you know, have seen him play in camp, have saw, saw him in the Memorial Cup, so was familiar with the player. Um, but by no means do we have a pencil in coming into this training camp. He's pushed his way into the roster. We say, you know, you hear it all the time that you know there's there's jobs to be had, um, depending on which team you are there's probably fewer jobs in some than there are in others. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of jobs available, but, but Fraser pushed our hand. Now, you know, Willie at center is still a thing that, you know, I don't know if it got enough play during training camp, but when you've got Fraser coming in here and, and you're giving him an opportunity, you want to put him in the best possible uh, place to succeed. And that's in the middle. That's where he's most comfortable with. That's where he's always played. Um, I look at it as, as a luxury. If you got you've got a number of guys that can play in the middle, obviously, you know we've seen what Willie's done on the wing, and and he's just a you know he's a terrific player. He's a star player. Um, so we'll you know I think we're going to be in a work in progress. <clears throat> Excuse me, as every team is at the start of the year. Um, so Fraser will start here, and we'll just watch it day by day, and that's what we do. We we watch and see how how things progress. But um, good for him. So yeah, I mean along those lines. Uh, your expectations for Fraser Minton, of course, we're all looking at the the ten games that if he plays in the NHL burns off a, a year of that that ELC. Um, what is the if if Fraser Minton is is not a Toronto Maple Leaf for all eighty two games this season? Is the backup plan William Nylander back up the middle? Well, we'll see. I mean, there's we've talked about a lot of things. Uh, you know, right now today we're focused on you know how do we best support you know, Fraser and all our players to be successful. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing I just caution everybody, uh, you know, Fraser's number one, he's earned his position here. This is not charity. Um, he's, he's earned a spot um, on the roster. It'll be up to Sheldon how he uses them. Um, and we want to do everything to help him succeed. And, uh, you know, but we will watch it day by day. Um, we're not, we're not forecasting too far ahead as, <clears throat> and, and, and seeing, you know, once we get, we all obviously know how, you know, how the contracts are affected by games played and all that stuff. Our focus is just getting them ready for, uh, for the game tomorrow night. We'll watch. Like I said, I think one of one of the benefits is we do have, you know, we have a number of players that can play in the middle. Um, we'll be a little bit of a, a work in progress here, and 
and like I said, depending on how how things how things go, we'll adjust accordingly. But right now, we want to get Fraser up and going, and uh, and the rest of our group, and uh, and 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 do whatever we can to have a good start here. Fan morning show talking to Leafs GM Brad Treliving and Brad, uh, you're you're so helpful. You led me right where I wanted to go with my next question. You mentioned it'd be up to Sheldon Keefe in terms of how he used him. Obviously, Keefe was a bit of a talking point this summer. He got the extension, which I'm sure makes him and you feel much better heading into the year. But uh, you know, I don't know how big of a baseball fan you are, but there's been a little talk in this city about autonomy of coaches or managers from the front office. I'm not uh, hinting that you would have puppet strings on that, but how much autonomy does Sheldon Keefe have to coach the team the way he sees fit? And I think. Another part of that that the people are asking questions about is, you know, there was a belief that maybe some of his post-game comments were walked back. How free is Sheldon Keefe to, one, coach the team the way he sees fit and, two, speak about them publicly the, the way he feels he needs to as a head coach? Well, I think when you're new coming into a situation, I don't think it's really my place at all to speak about what's, yeah, what's wouldn't, happened. Didn't, I just wanted to provide um, a little extra context. Yeah, Sorry about that, Brad. Didn't uh, mean to ask you to comment on that part specifically. Yeah, no problem. And, you know, so that what, whatever's happened happened. Um, you know, Sheldon is the coach of the team, and we will communicate, as we always do regularly, and, and, and share our share thoughts and, and, and push each other, as we will with the entire staff, to find ways to be better. But you know, what makes this thing go is everybody doing their specific role. And, and uh, um, I was taught a long time ago, managers manage, coaches coach, and players play. And, and when you when you get the order of sequence, um, you know, good things don't happen. So, you know, there's a there's an art to coaching. Uh, we, we go through and talk all sorts of stuff of, of, about our team and, and share ideas. But, you know, that's Sheldon's job to coach is, you know, when you're standing behind the bench, who put put who he feels is in the best spot to have our team have success, um, and that's what you have to do. You have to allow your coaches to coach and 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 get somebody in there that you feel comfortable with. I've, I I've stated, stated it publicly since I've been here. Um, really enjoyed my time with Sheldon. Enjoyed getting to know him, getting to know him. And you look at what he's done in his in his career as a coach. He's been, he, he's a really good coach. Um, I think we're very fortunate to have, have Sheldon as our coach. So um, you know those the, the 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 calls that are made from a from a from a coaching perspective is Sheldon's calls. This is not you know I don't coach from above. We discuss things. We go through ideas. Um, but managers manage and coaches coach. And it's hard to argue with Sheldon Keefe's uh, track record of regular season success over the years. He's uh, he's put this Maple Leafs team in a position to get into the postseason, um, and th- that's where things have been, I guess, not as successful as uh, he would have hoped, and obviously Leaf fans would have hoped. Talking to Brad for a living. So William Nylander going to start out the season on the wing where he put up a 40-goal season a year ago. He's obviously a pending free agent at the conclusion of this season. Will conversations continue between he and his representatives as, as the regular season rolls on uh, here, Brad? Yeah. You know what guys, I'm not going to get into, I'm not going to get into any, any public discourse. I know it. And I, and, and I don't say that, you know, to be rude. Um, I've always found doing this a long time. There's no, there's no benefit to us to get into any public discord uh, with respect to Willie's or anybody else's contract for that for that matter you know willie's and i've stated publicly willie's a he's a star player he's a terrific player he's a big part of our team um we would like to get him signed i've had lots of discussions with willie um 
he loves Toronto, loves the organization, loves the city, loves the fan base. He wants to stay. So to me, that's a really good starting point. Um, and then you just try to work through it. So we'll, we'll continue to work away at it quietly in the background. Uh, the focus is going to be on the ice. And, and you know, between ourselves and, and Willie's representative, we'll, we'll see if we can't uh, continue to move things forward. And uh, when there's good news to report, we'll make sure we, uh, we let everybody know. But, you know, as, 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 we get, as we prepare for tomorrow night, I know all of our focus and Willie's focus is on, is on the ice. And, you know, the business stuff we'll, we'll continue to work out. I, I do want to ask one more question about Fraser Minton, and I don't want to—I don't want to make too much of this, but I also don't think it can be overstated how exciting this is from a fan base perspective. And to your point, you mentioned it—the idea of a player coming into camp and, and genuinely surprising. Obviously, we know the nine-game threshold is an important one; it burns a year off the ELC. There's also the 41-game threshold that could potentially get a player to uh, to unrestricted free agency. How? I mean, obviously, you're cognizant of them, but how do you weigh those things against the impact that a player player like minting could potentially have for you. I guess the question is, how do you balance the idea of contractual status and a player's ability to, to help you now? And I guess you could throw in the fact of his own development. These are a lot of things to balance. How do you all kind of look at that? And I'm asking this about minting because he's the most obvious one, but these are questions you, I would imagine, hope to have about plenty of Leafs prospects in your tenure here. Yeah, and I, I would generally say, guys, as, as a golden rule, at, at, you know, at, at most times at this age, those players go back. I mean, that's just, you know, and that's, that's always the challenge for a young player. And like I said, Fraser has been terrific. Um, he's earned his opportunity here. He's earned, earned it through just, you know, building good day upon good day upon good day. Um, but that's not the norm. And, you know, the next challenge for Fraser will be, you know, starting tomorrow night when the games will be completely different than what he's seen in the, in the preseason in terms of the speed, the pace, the rosters. Um, you know, you've got, you'll have NHL talent right throughout the roster. He's been playing against, you know, some mixed rosters. So, so everything's going to step up a little bit. At the end of the day, you, you see what is the best thing for the player and for the team. And, you know, very self, these, these decisions, as difficult as it, they may appear, they always seem to find a way to sort themselves out. You know, at the end of the day, I think we're going to be, we're going to know with each passing day, you know, if this is the right thing for both the player and the team. Um, he's proven that he's he's deserving of this opportunity to this point. Um, but it's, I've said it many times, it's, you know, it's a man's league. And, and it's, it's harder for young players just because, um, the strength, the speed, the pace, all those types of things. Um, Fraser's got a tremendous hockey mind. He thinks the game and, 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 and is a big body. So physically, this is not, you know, it's not too much for him at this point. Um, but I, I find as you get closer to those thresholds, um, ultimately you're, you're trying to determine what is the very best thing for the player in the long run. Um, what helps our team win in you know in the stage that we're at right now, <clears throat> and usually those things are brought into clarity and, and decisions are made. So we'll continue to watch and see uh, see how things progress. Brad, as as fun as those eight preseason games were, eight preseason games. I'm I'm excited to see uh, real hockey played uh, for your hockey club tomorrow at home against the Montreal Canadiens. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Thanks. You bet. Thanks for having me on, guys.
Uh, there's Brad Tree Living, Toronto Maple Leafs general manager getting set for game one of 82 at home, Scotiabank Arena against the Montreal Canadiens with Fraser Minton centering a third line with mm-hmm. Callie Yarncroft and Matthew Nyes, a couple of guys that have shown some some chemistry in six of those eight preseason games couple that of, Menton played. A couple of young guys. Maybe they could find a little chemistry. Callie Yarncroft somehow shoots 19 in the net seemingly every year. Maybe mm-hmm. he'll do it alongside those two. Or maybe Austin Matthews will demand. And by that, I mean just say one nice thing about him and we'll say they got to play together. Uh, I'm fascinated to see how this all plays out. I think the point for living made, and you, you think he wants to come on here today and be the cooler and say, oh, the kid's probably going back to junior. He doesn't want to say that, but no. I think we all need to be very cognizant of that that yes this is typically how these things play out if he's here mm-hmm. he's for real yeah the idea of ah, maybe we can i don't think that's happening if it is not a slam dunk he's yeah. not staying well even if there's a bit of uh, a weighted conversation towards hey william nylander is probably not playing center for us and mm-hmm. the backup plan behind him is not so great yeah you can't that doesn't outweigh a guy who's not NHL ready at 19 and just turned 19 yeah. in July and a guy who you expect to be a big part of your organization going forward, interrupting his development mm-hmm. and two, messing with his long-term contractual status, burning a year of ELC, getting him one year closer to free agency. Yeah. You're not sacrificing that just because, hey, you know what? We really don't like William Nylander up the middle for any prolonged period of time. Like, it might be part of the, the conversation, but the 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 not messing with Fraser Mitten way outweighs any conversation you'd have uh, about William Nylander factoring into the discussion. Yeah, and if, look, if you don't think William Nylander's your third-line center or John Tavares is your third-line or however that works, and you also don't think it's David Camp, well, we got work to do because you mm-hmm. need a, th- a third-line center there. I've made the point again, tried to get a, an answer out of Trill Living on it, but he wasn't going to budge that I don't think these guys are that scared to burn the first year of the ELC. They're going to be in this position with Matthew Nyes. Hey, it's possible he goes put up 80 points this year and they got to give him a bag. That'd be a great thing from the least perspective, quite honestly. But what would be better is if he shows promise of having a nice 50-point season and now they're able to negotiate because he because ha- he has just one year left on his deal. If they burn the deal with Minton, it allows them to get... If they burn the first year of the ELC, it allows him to have less NHL track record, which, yes, makes you less certain about the player, but it mm-hmm. also gives them less of a room to stand on negotiations. The worst thing that ever happened to this Leafs team, somehow, like, you go look at the Devils and all the contracts they're on versus what Matthews and Marner made, it's because they popped right away coming out of their ELC. So as much as you want the player for 800k or whatever if it allows you a better second contract i think you also have to weigh that part of it as well and honestly there's a, a much more watchable leafs team with fraser minton as your third line center as opposed to david camp uh yes and i love david camp but yes yeah david camp is right where he should be yeah Yet- i don't know about the wingers beside him in those exact <laughs> spots but he he's where and I will say David Camp can be your third line center. It just has to be a very particularly constructed third line. You mean one that doesn't score? Yeah, it's a it's an absolute grind check, whatever. And they've tried it a million times. Yeah, they had the the moment with the hem line or the meh line with uh, McKay of Hyman and uh, and him there. Uh, God, it's just oh, it's it is it is so exciting that hockey is here. I am dying for not five thirty because Preds Lightning, but. Connor Bedard tonight and the Leafs tomorrow. I am dying, Ben. 
Everybody should watch the 5.30 game anyways because it's on Sportsnet. Of course. You should uh, always have Sportsnet on your TV. You should stream Sportsnet now, Sportsnet app, Sportsnet Plus, all of these wonderful things. You should do that. Yeah, I'm just saying I'm really excited for Bedard and Crosby. That's yep. Uh, and that's coming up at 8 o'clock tonight. Toronto Maple Leafs, new look Toronto Maple Leafs with a little more offensive punch maybe, perhaps a little leakier defense. Uh, John Klingberg, despite not playing in the last number of preseason games, apparently going to be good to go uh, on the right side of Jake McCabe tomorrow against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, tonight, though, gets started with a triple header of games, including Connor Bedard's first in the National Hockey League. We'll be back tomorrow to break that down, get you set for Game 182 for the Toronto Maple Leafs tomorrow. Um, this has been the Fan Morning Show. Fan Ennis, Brent Gunning. Happy hockey. Sports at 590 The Fan.